This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Today we light the third candle, the candle of love. With this flame, we signify the love of God that surrounds and fills us at all times. But we recognize this love in a special way because of the Christmas story. There is no greater power than love. It is stronger than rulers and empires, stronger than grief or despair, stronger even than death. We love because God loves us. Loving God, we open ourselves to you this Christmas season. As the candles are lit, light our lives with your imagination. Show us the creative power of hope. Help us fit our feet with the gospel of peace. Magnify your love within us. Prepare our hearts to be transformed by you that we may walk in the light of Christ. What's one of the most meaningful gifts you've ever received? Whether it's at Christmas time or some other time. Uh, what's one of the most meaningful gifts you've ever received? Just, just call those out. Anybody? A guitar. Awesome. I bet there's a story behind that. What's that? Jumper cables. All right. Very practical. What's that? That's a story behind that, too. That's right. Anyone else? Kids. Wow. Awesome. Leave it to a mother. One of the most awesome gifts I've ever received is this Greek icon. And a friend picked this up for me in Europe when we were over there a couple of months ago. And uh, it's an icon of John the Apostle. And yeah, he's got a beard. And he's talking to a younger guy. And what makes this particular gift so meaningful to me is that the person that gave it to me knows me. And she gave it with a lot of thought. She, she knows something about the calling on my life. And when I received this icon, it's just like God was speaking into my life, confirming uh, my desire, my hope, uh, my passion around speaking life and faith into the next generation, and also a calling of, of being a spiritual director. And so uh, I put this out in my prayer study at home, and I, I look at it almost every day. What makes a gift the most meaningful is something that is personal, something that speaks into our life, that gives us life. And today we come to that text in the first verses of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. And we're looking at the heart of the matter of the most precious gift, the most meaningful gift, the most valued gift of all, the gift of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. It seems to me that we are living in a time where many people are struggling with their own identity. We don't know who we are. 
And the world continues to struggle with its sense of identity. And that the only way that we really can get our true identity, know really who we are, is that we know who we are in Christ. We know who Christ is, and we know whose we are. But let's look at these scriptures from the Gospel of John, which identifies the world's struggle. But So although the world was made through him, although the world was made through Jesus, the world didn't recognize him when he came. And even in his own land and among his own people, he was not accepted. Now these statements are not simply historical, but they are actually true for us today as well. Jesus came into the world and people didn't recognize him. They didn't recognize him as God. They didn't recognize him as king. They didn't recognize, his own people did not recognize him as their, as their Messiah. His own people, his own heritage. And today the world largely doesn't get Jesus. He's admired as a good teacher. He's admired as a historical figure. Yeah, yes, the person on the street, what do you think of Jesus? You, you, you might get some pretty positive reviews. But we've really failed to identify who he really is. And today as the church, we can be his own people. We can be his own people and not knowing who he is. We can so easily miss our identity in relationship to Jesus. I want to tell you a story that comes to us about 75 years ago from the rolling hills of Tennessee. And there was a boy in that small little town in Tennessee that was an illegitimate child. And 75 years ago, the idea that you didn't know who your father was was a big deal. His mother never told him. He never knew who his biological father was. And bullying is not some new invention in our generation. Bullying, unfortunately, happens today. It happened when I was a kid. probably happened when you were a kid. And it certainly happened to this young boy who was called by his classmates the B word. The one thing that he had going for him was his grandmother would take him to a little Methodist church. He didn't want to go there, but he was drugged there. And as he went to church, they would usually slip in kind of late because, well, some of the good church people might not have really accepted them the way they should have, and they always left early. But one Sunday morning, they didn't get out of the church in time before the preacher came and put his hand on the boy. And the boy turns around, there's this big, burly, eyebrowed preacher that he doesn't like. <laughs> and the preacher says, son, whose boy are you? And the silence is deafening, and the boy thinks, here I go again. But then the preacher says to him, oh, I know who you are. I see the family resemblance. You are a child of God. 
Now go out there and claim your inheritance. That boy was Ben Hopper, and he grew up, among other things, to become the governor of the state of Tennessee. And he says the thing that changed his life were those words that were spoken into him, that he was a child of God, go out there and claim your inheritance. Now, church, I think this is what we are called to be and to do. First of all, we have to know who we are. We have to recognize that we are the children of God, that our identity is in Jesus Christ, and we are to go out there and we are to speak life into a world that has lost its sense of identity. Some of us received this week a Christmas letter. And in that Christmas letter, we, we asked for a special offering. And, and we describe in that Christmas letter what Schweitzer is intentionally doing. What we are intentionally doing is we're wanting to speak life into this community. Not just any life. We are wanting to speak God's life into this community. And so that letter recounts what we're doing. That 1,450 people come to the food pantry. They receive food, but they, they have prayer spoken into them. And many of them, they link up with Diane Joy, who, who helps them find their way. And many of them might find their way into church at the center, or they might find their way into a life change plan. We're life change plan where... Many of these people are coming out of prison or they're coming out of drugs or they're coming out of alcohol or they're just coming out of beaten, being beaten down in life and they need someone to speak life into them. And so they journal and they're in the scripture. They read the Bible every day. Do you read the Bible every day? They're in worship. They link up with someone that speaks life into them every week. And they, they find their way into Jobs for Life. And in Jobs for Life, we have had 23 graduates this year, church. 23 people have graduated through Jobs for Life. 19 of those people have solid jobs. Do you hear me? Solid jobs. And two of those 19 people have moved into managerial positions because they didn't know any better that they could really begin to excel in life. And in January, we're starting Faith and Finance, which is Dave Ramsey off of steroids that emphasizes more about faith than finances, but especially is designed for the working poor, for the person that can begin to get up off of their feet and stand up and to make a living and to make a way of life for them. What are we doing? They might work in the garden if they're homeless and they're female. They might be a part of the coach house. What we're doing is we are speaking life into people, and God is all over this. But you know, folks, it's not just the poor that are struggling with their identity. There are all kinds of people struggling with who they really are. And one of the things that's hitting Springfield hard is heroin and meth and sexual addiction. And it knows no economic barriers whatsoever. 
And if you are a person here today who has not had someone in your life that's been affected in one of those ways, get out on your knees and thank God. But there are many people who have had their life taken from them or nearly taken from them. Certainly their identity is taken from them. And we are living in a reality that, the, as Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. And in this, in, in this community, this great Springfield community, church leaders and city leaders and people in education and people in the healthcare communities and caseworkers and counselors are all coming together seeking to address this issue, this problem, this reality. And as we scratch underneath the surface and as we scratch our heads, we also recognize this. That as, a, as important as this focus is, as important as these tools are, as important as it is for us to bring our efforts together as a community, these lives will not change apart from the power of God. And we are guilty of spiritual malpractice if we do not offer people Jesus. And we do not get right down and dirty and talk about the absolute necessity of a spiritual rebirth in every person's life. Jesus speaks to this when he speaks to Nicodemus at night, the religious leader, that you must be born anew. You must be born from above. That everyone must have this spiritual rebirth. And in the prologue of John, we, we pick up these words that says that after the world rejected Jesus and after his own people rejected Jesus, but to all who believed him, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right, and some translations read the power. He gave them, he gave us the right, the power to become children of God. They are reborn. This is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. The rebirth comes from God. So Jesus Christ did not come into the world to tinker. He didn't come to tinker around. He didn't come to tinker with our hearts. He came to give us new hearts. He didn't come shedding his blood on the cross to cover up our sin and let us to continue to live in sin. He came shedding his blood to cleanse us from our sin. Jesus, when he comes into our life, we are no longer just sorry for what we do. We're sorry for the person that is doing these things. And so the new birth, uh, the Spirit of God coming into our life, Jesus coming into our hearts, is as absolute necessity for everyone in this room as anyone who has 
totally down and out, physically or emotionally as well. What does a spiritual rebirth do for us? It's more than just frosting on the cake. I love Robert Mulholland talks about how that, you know what, friends? Without the spiritual rebirth, it's kind of like we go through our religious actions, our religious activities, we, we come to church, or, and we're nothing more than a mud pie with frosting, white frosting on the outside. But underneath, while we're posing to be angel food cake, we're still mud pies. But a spiritual rebirth is different. And you can be baptized as a baby or as a youth or adult. You could be confirmed. You could be a member of the church and never be spiritually reborn. But a spiritual rebirth changes us from the inside out. We are not perfect, but we are new. We are different. And we know it, and the people who live closest to us will know it too. We don't fake it anymore. We become real. And there are markings, there are indications, there is fruit in our life that shows this forth. Gene Taft is someone that I've known for decades. He's been a member of this church for a long time, but I've never known Gene without tattoos. Gene had tattoos when tattoos were not cool. And as a young man, he had all kinds of different tattoos that didn't necessarily mean anything to him. Gene says, I was always a believer in God, but I never really followed God for a long time. And he had a swastika on his arm. And about 15 years ago, he had a friend say to him, you know, uh, what if I pay for this to have that transformed and and Gene said, sure. And Gene was glad to have that swastika transformed into a flower, into a rose. And I think that's a beautiful symbol of what happens to us, that we all got markings, and we all got scars, and we all got stuff in our character, in our life from the past. But when God gets a hold of us, he has a way of transforming those markings and making them new. Mark McNally, who's our director of outreach, had a tattoo. Uh, he's got several tattoos. <laughs> he's got this one from Isaiah 51. I love this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he, he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And Mark had that done because God tattooed on his heart first a desire to preach good news to the poor. So that's what God tattoos inside of us then begins to find expression outside of us. I thought about getting a tattoo, but I think I'll just stick with the icon. <laughs> but you get the point. There's an outward visible signs that happen to us when we really have the Spirit of Jesus inside of us. And I want to talk uh, in the spirit of John Wesley, who wrote a sermon one time, The Marks of the New Birth. I want to talk about four marks of the new birth or four indications that we really have the new birth. We have been born anew of God. One of those markings is hope. Our hope truly is centered in God. That come what may in the world, uh, we live out of this hope, sometimes in situations that are really hopeless. I was at Church of the Center last Sunday night, and I listened to a woman named Brooke, and Brooke was talking about how that 
she had just been incarcerated and in prison, she began to really read the Bible, and God was speaking to her in fresh, new ways. And she was baptized recently. She's now living with this living hope that she has in Jesus Christ. When we are people that have been marked by God, it isn't that we stop caring about the world. We care about the world even more. It's just that our hope is not centered in the world. It's not centered in anything going on in our life. Our hope is centered in this living God and this living hope that is enduring forever and ever. Come what may. The second mark of the, of the life that's centered in God is peace. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have a shalom. We have a well-being. We have a sense of contentment. People sometimes ask me, what's on your bucket list? I don't have a bucket list. I, I have never been more contented in my life. It's easy for me to be that way, I guess, but there's many people that have as many things as I do that's not. And one of the things I also recognize is that I still have the voice of the evil one that speaks into my life. And the evil one speaks enmity and strife and division, but I, I'm able to much more easier recognize that voice. And I, I just say to that voice, get away. Uh, Jesus is the landlord of my house. You've been evicted a long time ago. You see, when we become the children of God, we are the children of peace. We are conciliatory. We don't go around stirring up strife and mischief. Oh, we might cause some of God's good trouble, but we're not here to separate people. We're here to bring people in conciliatory and reconciliation. We're people of peace. And one of the greatest, the, the best mark of all is love. The more we grow in God, the more we grow in love. You cannot grow close to God and not become a loving person. It's impossible. We become co-lovers with God. We join God in loving each other. We love the family. We love the brothers and sisters of this Christian household. We love the world. We love the people of the world. We love people that are opposing to us or oppositional to us or people that are our enemies or people that can't stand us. We still love them with God's love. We love God most of all. Love is the supreme and most assured sign that we have been reborn. And a final mark that must be said is joy. Sometimes joy, I think, comes at the very beginning of the Christian life when we first realize this great joy of knowing God. It leaves us. It can leave us for a while. But there's a deeper joy that we experience as we go deeper with God. I was talking to a pastor uh, this week and I was remarking to him about this one member of his church. And, and every time I'm around this guy, he's always joyful. He's positive. He's always speaking hope and joy in someone's life. And I said, I just admire that about him. And the pastor said, did you know that he's going through a very 
tough time right now. His son is, is, is going through sexual addiction, and it's really heavy on his heart. And it reminds me, friends, that the joy of the Lord does not mean we don't have heartache or we don't have pain or we don't have disappointment. But in the midst of that, we can still have the joy of the Lord. We catch ourselves laughing a lot. We can make fun of ourselves. We laugh at our mistakes. We can catch ourselves singing and whistling and whatever you do in the shower when no one else is around. <laughs> it's fun. Well, here's some questions. Have you received this gift, this gift of Jesus, the gift of your true identity in Jesus? Do you have the marks of the new birth in your life? How can we enter this new life? with God. The Apostle Paul writes these words to the Galatians. It's a very wonderful parallel passage of what we've been talking about. And he says that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. See, there's the secret. The Spirit, capital S for the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of His Son comes into our hearts. And now you can call God your dear Father. The original Greek says, Abba, Daddy. Now you are no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave to those things that once enslaved you. But you're God's own child. And since you are his child, everything he has belongs to you. Everything he has belongs to you. Just like that preacher said to that little boy back in Tennessee, that illegitimate child, go out there and claim your inheritance. My wife has a wonderful attribute that drives me crazy. She's able to see things that I don't see. And every time we're on a trip or something, she always wants to take a lot more pictures and photos than I do. But I'm really glad she got this one. We were in a Greek Orthodox church on the beautiful Santorina Island. The Santorina Island of Greece is one place, friends. Yeah, you might put it on your bucket list. But in this beautiful Orthodox church, there was this icon of Mary. And you can't see it too well in the back. You might just move on up front next time, huh? <laughs> but here's Mary. And the Holy Spirit is coming toward her. And it's, it's, a, it's a picture. It's an icon of the conception of Jesus Christ in the Mary. And I know that Mary's conception of Jesus Christ was a one unique event. But I also know that the spirit of sonship, the spirit of Jesus, is conceived in us, can be conceived in us, must be conceived in us. And friends, you and I, we can have this kind of posture toward God. We can hold our hand out and we just, we don't want any of this. And this can be the inner posture of our hearts where we're actually hostile toward all this. Or we can be like Mary who's gesturing and open with her hand to receive. To receive the spirit of adoption. Where our spirit is joined with God's spirit. 
and we become the children of God. This is our identity. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. That to as many as will receive him, he gives us the right, the power to become the children of God. I want to close with a prayer. And I just invite you to pray. And you might want to look at this icon or look at the cross or look at the Advent candle as to lead us in this time of prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. God, we ask that you would send the Holy Spirit in this place, that you would send yourself the gift of your sonship into our hearts and minds and spirits, that we would truly identify ourselves as sons and daughters of yours. Would you do a new work in our hearts? Would you create through your spirit hope, peace, love, joy. And God, if I'm praying for those who may be close to you, close to your spirit, I pray that they would drop their resistance and just let you come into their life. And for those of us who have family members, friends, loved ones that have lost their identity, we pray for them. For you still want to give them a future of hope. Thank you for the identity we have in you. Minister to us in this time of worship. Make us new people. In the name of the blessed Son, conceived in Mary, be conceived in us. Amen.